Hey guys, it's Mark here from the ETF Tracker Show and this is the Interviews with Experts episode. It is episode number 12. It's the final one for the year of 2021. Uh, we only planned on doing a few of them and we'll likely pick up again in the new year. But for now, you get access to the last episode, whether you're watching or listening, uh, hopefully you are able to get a lot of insights out of that. And in today's one, we talk to someone from Van Eck. We talk to Damon Gozen over there and you can look him up. He's got a lot of videos out online and attends a lot of conferences, speaks at a lot of them as well. But the reason we've got uh, this one here is because they've got a lot of innovative ETFs over there at Van Eck, a lot of smart beta type ETFs. We even got some homework from Damon to do prior to the recording of this. Now this was filmed in late October and it is nearly mid-November right now. So we do film pre-film them from a few weeks back. But yeah, there's a lot of insights into it. Uh, the great thing is, is that Damon and I, we, we have very much the same philosophy about data where we know that ETF data can be quite powerful in helping you build portfolios and better understand what it is that you're exposed to underneath the hood of the ETF. So there's a lot more information in this episode. It's the final one. Please do like, share and subscribe. So take a minute to pause and hit that subscribe or like or share button. We are gonna continue doing the weekly, uh, the week in review episode. So that is exchange traded Fridays. But for these interviews with experts, and we've covered uh, many great guests, and we can you can go back through the place to see all of that. This is episode number 12, the last one for 2021. And we thank you for watching and coming along on this journey. So we'll get to the episode now and see what Damon's got to say. Cheers. Okay, we are back here and we're joined by a special guest, Damon Gozen from Van Eck. Damon, thanks for being here. Yeah, great to be here, Mark. Fantastic. And look, we're really interested in uh, all of the different experts that have come on the show and whether it's issuers or advisors or even the exchange and many others, it's all fascinating, the types of insights. So I'm really looking forward to what we can get from you. But before we get started, I like to get into the origin story, the superhero origin story for each of the special guests. How did you get involved in finance like what sparked that interest and what led you to getting into etfs could you tell us a little bit more about that yeah absolutely and my my little boy will love the superhero reference especially <laughs> um especially with uh, with daddy the superhero so my background my background is actually um really on the investment side so i, I worked as an investment analyst for quite a few years so i've got quite a technical background um, mm -hmm. when it comes to investing and portfolio con construction. So I, I first really got into ETFs late 2000s after the GFC, basically around the time when investors were clearly very disillusioned with actively mm -hmm. managed funds because mm -hmm. they were paying huge fees, had little transparency, that had bad tax outcomes and quite often underperformance. And so at the time I worked for one of the largest investment and advice businesses in the country, so AXA. Okay. And, and my role was actually building out a direct um, slash listed investment proposition. And that included looking at ETFs and incorporating them into, into portfolios. I, I just always loved the fact that they were excellent low cost exposures. But if you kind of think about it, when the, the time frame there, that was at a point in time when there were only a few dozen ETFs on ASX 
Wow. Now, pretty much all broad based, either S&P ASX 200 tracking ETFs or say an S&P 500 tracking fund as well. So, which has really changed a lot. And so my, so that was the first foray. I've been with Van Eck for close to seven years. And when I started, we actually had a, just a handful of very small funds that hadn't been listed long. And there were two of these funds that I thought were really, really cool and just were genuinely really innovative. And so our, our international quality ETF qual, uh-huh. it was brand new at the time. Wow. A lot of your listeners probably are, are aware of this fund. <laughs> yep. It was based on a super strong investment proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now a $2.4 billion ETF. Uh, and has done extremely well. Uh, the other one was our oh, Australian Equal Weight Strategy, so a very different type of type of strategy. So um, that was really what got me engaged at that point in time. Was there's some really different types of things that you can do with ETFs in portfolios? Oh, that's that's really really interesting. And you mentioned uh, Qual there, the you know the Facebook forums that we get in on, and we see it all on Ausbiz. Andrew Wheeland, shout out to him over at DP Wealth Advisory. He, that's his favorite, I would say. I think every time Qual is mentioned, his name has to be attached to that Facebook post in um, the Equity Mates uh, discussion group. It, I think it's a rule now. So, um, very good one to kind of mention there. But yeah, yeah, as it should be. And you mentioned Van Eck there, and a lot of our viewers would know about Van Eck and the different types of ETS, whether it's Qual and Espo, and we'll, we'll get into those ones there. You've got many great kind of ETFs uh, to, to play on there. But if we take a step back, what is the typical Vanek client like, or what is it uh, that, you, what's the client type that you guys go after? Um, it's a, I, I guess, um, I'm going to give you a really broad answer and, and sure. it probably reflects the beauty of ETFs, which is we don't really have a typical client type. And, and so it's, it sounds like I'm giving you a non-answer there, but uh, what, what we see every single day on our trading, um, like when we see the trading stats, mm. stats is, uh, with everyone from individual investors through to financial advisors and stockbrokers through to very large institutions. Um, you, you brought up ESPO a moment ago, the yeah. video gaming and sports ETF. And that, that's an awesome example because it's, we've had that on ASX for 12 months. Um, mm. And it's been really popular. So it's over 100 mil now. It's one of our, I think it was our fastest fund to hit 100 mil. Um, wow. and, and a lot of that investor base has been direct investors. But okay. one thing that you probably don't know is ESPO is a fund that we've had globally for about three years or three and a half years. It's got about $3 billion in it. And on our analysis, about half of that usage has been institutional investors that love the thematic of the, 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 the kind of the growth trajectory of video gaming and esports, mm-hmm. but are attracted to the ETF because it's a super efficient, transparent, and obviously liquid way of just getting that exposure. And so that, that's, um, yeah, that's something we see a lot on, on our uh, broad ETF range globally, but being a large global provider, um, is that just diversity of kind of client type. No, that's, that's really interesting. And that is an answer, definitely, uh, that, you know, you've got this broad range and right amongst that book of uh, people that are trading your ETFs, you've got a mix of the institutions right down to the mum and dad and uh, everyday kind of investor trading through various uh, 
you know, there's so many apps out there. We see more and more coming. Revolut, Goodman's are coming. So, so there's more of that. But that's really interesting to see in that Vanek type of client. Let's go into the Vanek uh, ETFs. Now, this is interesting because not uh, this is the first time it's actually happened over the, this is going to be episode 11. Um, the first time it's happened over the 11 episodes where someone sent me some homework. Usually I'm the one sending questions across to the guests and going, hey, these are the things we want to talk about. And you said, you know, hey, you should look into this one. Um, this is this could be an interesting ETF for the show. Now, you mentioned CNEW, CNU. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? And I'll give you an answer to my homework. Actually, no, why don't I give you an answer to my homework question and you can get into it. So um, you asked me to see how, uh, because we've got the ETF holdings that we track, how uh, similar CNEW is to other ETFs. And so the first thing I did was look at all the Asian ETFs that are out there and loaded them all up in our table. And that's all available online for free for investors. Here's the plug. Um, but we didn't see that it was, it has some, very few kind of common holdings across the other Asian ETFs. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, sure. And yeah, it was a little bit cheeky of me to, to, <laughs> to set you some homework, but um, I'm glad you did your homework. So well done. And that yeah. was the, you, you won't be surprised to know that was that, uh, yeah, that was the outcome that I was expecting you would actually find. So CNU mm -hmm. um, is our Vanek China New Economy ETF. So in, in short, uh, there's, there's, there's a few things to kind of talk about with, with China. So, um, mm. so the, the, the first thing we would say is look through all the noise. Um, like uh, Ch China's been all over the press in, in recent months. I, I, anything from geopolitical tensions, trade tensions, COVID, uh, the month of September, every news publication, whether it's a financial publication or whether it's just the ABC or Herald Sun or Sydney Morning Herald was, was covering this Evergrande situation. And, and Evergrande, the property um, developer and the imminent collapse there, clearly a serious, uh, uh, a serious situation there. But uh, during September, if that was the backdrop, mm. or, um, it was a sea of red pretty much in global markets. So the ASX was down 2%, the S&P 500 was down 3.5%. Um, our China new economy ETF was actually up 2.5%. China equities was actually up. Um, yeah. but, but, but there's a real dichotomy there in that what, what you're actually buying when you buy a China exposure or a China fund. And the first thing I'd kind of say is... Um, investors should have an allocation to China. So it's gonna be the biggest economy in the world in the next couple of years, and it's the second biggest financial market. But that exposure should be um, China A shares. So they're the actual, the, the Chinese companies that are listed on Chinese exchanges. Mm. So if you're looking at an ETF and having a look at the fact sheet and go, oh, this particular fund's got 30% or 50% in China or 10%, you'll find that nearly all of that exposure will be to the H shares market. Mm -hmm. um, which is the Hong Kong listed Chinese stocks. And a lot of those have been dusted in recent times because some of those are the, the big uh, uh, consumer facing software platforms that the Chinese government has actually gone after. And actually that's, that's a separate topic. We actually think that's a real, real structural issue yeah. there as well. But um, so CNU provides exposure just to Chinese A shares. Um, and we're the okay. only provider in the Aussie market that provides dedicated exposure to A shares. The other part of CNU is its composition. Mm -hmm. The reference to the new economy is saying 
the Chinese economy has transitioned from being all about fixed capital formation and low-cost manufacturing and exporting to the rest of the world to it's a consumption-led economy. And whereas you might have had 76 million baby boomers in the US that have driven uh, the economy over many decades, there's 350 million Chinese millennials. That's the new baby boomer generation. And they're going to buy a lot of things. And so CNU is technology companies, healthcare stocks, consumer staples, and consumer discretionary. So just those four sectors. Mm. And it's really, um, uh, uh, really heavily screened in terms of the stocks that go into it. So it's the most fundamentally sound companies, uh, according to a range of growth and value, yep. uh, profitability and cash flow metrics. And so that, that's broadly, I probably <laughs> said a lot on CNU. Oh, that's but that the last thing I'll actually say, and this is probably partly related to your homework, mm -hmm. <laughs> is we listed CNU three years ago. Okay. It's, it's well ahead of the ASX 200 over that time. It's well ahead of the MSCI World Index that, over that time. It's well ahead of the S&P 500 over that time. Interesting. But just like you said with the, uh, uh, the lack of overlap with other China or Asia funds, mm. It has been uncorrelated. So the average correlation mm. over that time has been about 0.14 or 15 mm. with those traditional asset classes. So something that's done very well and done it in an uncorrelated way mm. al almost spells portfolio construction nirvana going back to my analyst days. So um, that, that's a little bit about senior. I think it's a really, really exciting type of fund. And you, you lead into the segue to the next question there. So you've done your homework definitely with portfolio talk. And the reason for that is that, look, um, and we can get into the, the reasons why correlation is uh, interesting when you're looking at your portfolios. And we'll provide some links here because that's there's a big topic all around that that retail investors don't often make themselves aware of or it's not often told to them, but really important. But the next question is all about, constructing portfolios of ETFs and what are the kind of things that people should look for? We say it here, equity mates say it, many in you know the podcast kind of community, if they're doing the right thing, talk about with ETFs especially, and not just, you do it with everything, but like with ETFs especially to look under the hood, not just read what's on the tin, but actually look under the hood. What are your thoughts on how investors should look at constructing a portfolio, especially when it comes to looking at ETFs? Oh, I totally agree with, with you in terms of make sure what, what's written on the tin is actually what's in the tin as, as well and make sure make sure you know what's, um, what sits under the hood and how it blends with other, other things. Um, I, I'd kind of, the, the approaches we typically see with ETFs is there's that kind of the traditional strategic asset allocation approach where you might see half a dozen broad-based ETFs bolted together across asset classes um, and really low cost exposure. Um, the, the thing about uh, that has become more popular over the years, it's well, well, well known, the core, core satellite approach, mm -hmm. where historically it meant a low cost ETF for core and go and buy an active fund or, a, or, a, um, or some direct stocks as your satellites. Mm -hmm. Kind of seeing the smart beta ETFs disrupting those active funds and, and oh. thematic ETFs replacing direct, direct okay. stocks. Um, but when it comes to actually providing guidance for selecting the ETF, so I'd say kind of like at, at a high, so first part is the actual picking the funds and then the, the next part is the putting them together. And so when it comes to actually assessing the ETFs, it's like, well, create a short list based on whatever asset class or theme you're interested in. And to, to, to quote you, 
make sure what, what you get is what's written on the tin. And ESG and sustainable investing is a great case study in, in the what's written on the tin isn't normally isn't often what is in the tin tin. So mm-hmm. you might have heard the term greenwashing. Yep. But um, in that space for ESG and sustainable funds, you'll see a ton of uh, different funds out there where there's a handful of very modest exclusions, but the word ethical or socially responsible or ESG or sustainable is added to the to the name of the fund. Um, so really do your digging and understand what's actually um, sitting under the hood. We, we would always say, go with a reputable provider that's actually got a global footprint, got scale, have, has a long history. Um, don't just... Uh, don't just launch products that are that are fads. Um, mm-hmm. Then then goes into then, then you get into the actual assessing the investment strategy. So have a look at the ETS index. Is is it a is it actually a robust approach that's backed by research? Um, and does it does it actually make make sense? Check, mm. And check the track record, review all the all the costs, not just the management costs, but the spreads, the tracking error. And, and the like, and probably the most important bit of all, and, and this is actually why I think what you're doing is so cool and so valuable, yeah. is if you're building portfolios, don't just assume that if you've got a whole bunch of ETS, you've got a whole bunch of diversification, because we see it heaps when you, you see investors that blend together a whole bunch of different funds, but end up mm-hmm. with huge amounts of overlap. And um, like if, you, if you're owning a S&P 500 ETF, a broad-based global tech strategy, a broad-based global equity strategy, uh, you'll find that you've got 25, 30% plus in all of those funds to the, to the things and Microsoft. So you might think you're really well diversified, but you're taking a huge bet on one particular narrow sector that admittedly has done really well in, in recent years, um, but may not, but, but, but is something you need to be conscious of. So have a look at the underlying holdings and how it blends with others. Yeah, I, I like that. And th- thanks for the plug there. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. Like uh, we see it with like the fund of fund ETFs, the the uh, BDHG and DZZF from BetaShares. So the Vanguard and BetaShares fund of fund one. There's others out there, obviously, but um, people will buy like BDHG and it's got VAS and some other one, VGS in there. And they'll also own those ones separately and it's like well why are you doing that and they don't think about the extra costs and maybe if they're getting it for free well there's still a cost because the management expense ratio kind of kicks in there so they don't often think about it so there's pros and cons to um yeah with with everything but i think with this when you've got money on the line you really need to do your homework right oh absolutely don't want to part with your your hard-earned cash um lightly at all so well, speaking of hard, hard-earned cash, uh, what we had seen in growth of the overall Australian ETF markets on the ASX and CHI-X combined, the CHI-X is still up and coming, but um, you know it does add to the growth there. We saw growth go from fifty billion in you know they only the ASX only just hit fifty billion in terms of fund funds under management in 2019 and over the course of 2020 with the whole pandemic and a lot of people having nowhere else to kind of put their money needing to do something other than sports betting i guess when there was no sports um and all of these things kind of culminating in the growth to where we are today as of august it was 125 billion in the markets we got the latest asx numbers for september we don't have triax just yet 
but it's still actually only around 125 billion. So it's actually kind of stunted in terms of growth, but assuming that it continues to grow at about 4 billion, 5 billion each month, we were supposed to get to uh, over say nearly 140 billion. And even at 120, 130 billion, which we should get to by the end of the year, it's amazing kind of growth. I just wanted to get your opinions on that type of growth, being involved in the markets. And you spoke about when you had, you know, kind of been seeing these ETFs and your accidents and then moving across. What are your thoughts on the growth and where do you think we're going to go? Well, you you won't be surprised to hear an ETF guy say it's going to get much bigger. Um, but, Good. But, but globally, globally, there's $8 trillion in ETFs. Um, in the US, ETFs are the investment vehicle of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and Australia is, is lagging the US. So here, there is a long way to go. There's a lot... Um, yeah, long runway for us, really. Uh, we we recently did a huge survey of direct investors. So we, we got we got about three, three and a bit thousand responses. And it was the biggest cohorts of clients were, well, responders were millennials and over 60s. Mm-hmm. And 96% use ETFs. Two thirds plan on increasing their ETF usage. And 90% would recommend them to investors. So with that backdrop, with the year on year growth that we've seen, like I think Australia hitting 140 billion or north of that um, by end of 2021, that's very realistic. We're thinking 200 billion next year um, as well. So it's, um, and and going well beyond that. So if you think of a superannuation system, that's whatever, two and a bit trillion dollars um, and ongoing contributions, ETFs are going to have got a long way to run. I think that's a great thing. And you're absolutely right. I I feel kind of lucky getting into the analytics space on ETFs and doing that sort of analysis, uh, that very data-driven kind of approach to looking at it. It seems like it's, you know, a mature market, but I, I, like you, am a believer that there is a lot more to run, especially as we see how big the ETF markets are overseas as part of the overall market. So that's, that's great. We're on the same page there. Now, back to Van Eck, um, what we, we like to ask and get a bit of insight into is how do ETF issuers come up with the, these ideas for the ETFs? And you know, what's the process kind of like at Van Eck? Do you uh, look at trends here, surveys, you look overseas? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Not trying to hold you to any promises about that these are the kind of ETFs we're going to come up with. We, we understand that, but just to get an idea into the thinking over there, I think that'd be great for the viewers. Yeah. So we, we have, we've got a framework which um, basically any idea for an ETF has to satisfy a, a long-term sustainable investment proposition. Okay. Um, has to complement other offerings within our suite. So we, we, now, we now have 29 ASX, ASX listed ETFs. Mm-hmm. We're as conscious of that overlap as... as as we talked about before and okay. in your service as well, we want, we want funds that can be complementary to one another, not just doubling up on different things. Um, and, and another thing we always talk about is explo- exploit an inefficiency. So uh, that, that could be, for instance, uh, equal weighting. It, we, we've always been bewildered that people will just throw money at companies just because they're big. Mm. Um, like BHP used to be 13% of the ASX 200. Um, CBA is now 9%. Uh, it, that, that to us, Aussie equities is a great example of there's, a, there's some sort of uh, risk and distortion in the market. And so where we 
see that, we will do something different and it'll be supported by uh, empirical research um, and be really well tested and, and, and make a lot of sense. And so that's, got, that's the broad framework. Um, our, our philosophy always is, it's, it's, it's twofold. Mm. So opportunities to asset classes that are underrepresented in investor portfolio. So we, we spoke about this senior, the China new economy. Um, mm. I, think, I think we make a good case as to why uh, China A shares and senior should be in portfolios. Yeah. Most people have no exposure to, to that um, at, at all. Um, we're not saying go and put everything into senior, but zero is the wrong answer as well. So that, that's, that's always the philosophy and beyond the normal approaches. So that's equal weighting, factor indexes, mm. uh, uh, and, and the like. So smart beta strategies, that's really our, that's our bread and butter. So you won't see, you won't see us listing fads or just what's in, what's in vogue. Um, we've probably got a track record of even listing some funds that have been in sectors that have been beaten up more, uh, more recently um, as well. So senior was a great example. It's yeah. listed end of 2018 after China equities had sold off enormously. Um, we did uh, an active emerging market bond fund as the world was going through uh, COVID-19 last year or that was unfolding. And so mm. they're, they're normally things fund managers don't do. They normally list at the top when there's ultimate hype around different areas. That's, that's definitely an argument that we uh, have seen uh, spoken about where uh, ETFs kind of lag the trend. Um, mm. And I agree, but I guess the, the other part is if, as to, to your point, right? Like if you're thinking about things from that long-term perspective, just because it might've been beat up uh, in more recent times, if it's something that does hold up because it's got legs to run that marathon, uh, then, mm. you know, there's no reason why ETFs aren't um, a, a good choice to get exposure to that. And they're just such an easy way to get in to that space. So speaking of, you know, what, uh, the, you know, this way that you guys have your, uh, your, your assessment, your guidelines for thinking about what, um, could be a, an interesting ETF. And that was very interesting to see that you ask also look at like what other ETFs you've actually got here in the market across those 29. So for the 30th one, it's going to be certainly interesting to see, but let's talk about, um, what are some of the trends that you, you are seeing coming uh, to Australia potentially with ETFs? I mean, we see things about Bitcoin and um, crypto type ETFs and there's been news this week. So the day we're recording this, there's been some new announcements of a new listing as well as like some potential listing of an ETF but uh, in, in the Bitcoin space. But is Bitcoin something you're seeing a lot of or is there something else? You know, what are some of the interesting trends that you uh, I think might be likely coming here to Australia? Oh, we, we certainly get asked about Bitcoin and, and crypto um, a, a lot. We, we actually do. We, in Europe, Vanek has uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum exchange-traded products uh, right. already. We listed them some, some time ago. So it's, it, I think globally, we've been at the cutting edge of it. Um, mm -hmm. like, uh, like most things, uh, Australia's regulatory uh, framework uh, takes some time to, to, to catch up in different, different areas. But broadly, I think what we would see, sorry, we would see far more funds coming to market. I'm not talking about VanEck. I'm just saying far more ETFs. Mm -hmm. um, I think the market is moving away somewhat from just simple market cap index tracking ETFs to, to, to smart beta um, ETFs, which is really where I think we've led the way in that regard. Active ETFs as well. 
I think the more granular exposures will become more popular. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, whether it's like a, we, we did CLNE, clean energy. Um, yeah. Earlier this year, we did obviously the video gaming and esports strategy, ESFO as well. We get lots of queries about ESG these days. And, and I think those, those theme-based funds and also ESG funds, they tend to be drawing in that younger demographic yeah. um, and, and, and investors that are wanting to align values their values with their portfolios as well. So I think we'll see a lot more innovation in that that type of area too. Okay, we'll stay, we'll stay tuned. And I think you're right. That's, that's certainly what we're seeing overseas and we see uh, other um, people kind of talk about that stuff here. We, we see a lot in the SG and we're um, definitely tracking all of that. Well, Damon, it's, it's been great. This has been such a wonderful kind of interview to wrap up um, the season of interviews with experts. Um, I don't think I've got any more scheduled. And to, to everyone that's kind of listening in, I can only do these depending on the work schedule. So uh, Damon, you and I kind of spoke about uh, this is probably the last one. I would be surprised if there's another one after this. So this is episode 11. But look, if people are interested in reading more about Van Eck, um, following you, uh, like, uh, and the things that you kind of um, will talk about. Are you on LinkedIn? Can people follow you on LinkedIn? Uh, where's the best place to learn about Van Eck kind of um, research yeah, and insights? No, well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on LinkedIn. Um, our website is great, vaneck.com.au. You'll find all the tools um, up, up on the site. You'll have uh, our fund details. Because a lot of what we do is different to normal market cap weighted indexes, like a lot of that kind of factor indexes. We've got, all, we've got great white papers there for people to um, lose themselves in uh, at, at night um, and, and, and the like. So, and all of our contact details as well. So um, feel free, if you're listening to reach out to me, my details are all online and our contact details are up on the site as well. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we list uh, those in the show notes. And if anyone wants to get in touch, maybe there's people out there that have some ideas or they want to ask more, more questions. We'll make sure that we point them your way. So look, Damon, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, we really appreciate it. And this has been very insightful. And like I said, I had to do a bit more homework for this one. So it was good because I learned something new, not just from the interview, but from, you know, looking into these ETFs. So uh, yeah, we appreciate uh, our time here together and we hope to have you on the show again awesome thanks for having me mark i really enjoyed it cheers there you have it that was the wrap-up that's the final episode it's been an amazing 12 weeks we'll probably do some sort of uh compendium some kind of look through from you know look back at what all of the guests have had to say about some similar topics there i mean everyone has spoken about that need to look under the hood look at the data get to really better understand what is going on with ETFs. It was great to see, especially from the ETF issuers and the PMs and advisors, just what is their process for understanding and looking at ETFs and even creating it if you know that's the place that they're in and how they get their feedback from customers and how they look at things in the market and where they think the market's going to go. And it's been super fascinating. And I'm close to the markets, you know, having worked for the ASX before, and we even had Martin from the ASX on the show, but having been close to the markets and now being outside looking in a little bit and, you know, working in this space as a consultant, it's even been a learning experience for me. So if I'm learning, then I know for sure that you guys definitely are as well. 
But as I said at the start of this episode, we are still going to continue doing the Exchange Traded Fridays. That is the week in review for local and global ETFs. We'll continue doing that into the Christmas period and maybe take a short break then. Um, but for now, this Interviews with Experts series, this is episode number 12. That's it. Kaput. Finish. Finito. That is it for the year. We'll pick it up again in 2022 with maybe some repeat guests, but also some new ones. So stay tuned. Uh, and if you are interested in any of the things that you've seen in these episodes, please do feel free to reach out to me, marketetftracker.com.au. But for now, please like, share and subscribe and have a uh, great time, whatever it is you're up to. Happy investing.